Amen. You are Lord, Father. You are the Lord of all. You're the Lord, and we're your servants. Here we are, Lord. We're here tonight because we love you. We're here tonight because you saved us from our sins. We're here tonight to worship and praise you. We're here tonight to learn of you and to grow in grace and the knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're here to digest your word. Like Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them and they became the joy and the delight of my heart. Father God, your word is beautiful, Lord, today as we study your word in Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. Lord, we're here to learn of you, to grow in grace of you. We're here to study. Lord, we're here to know you better. You're our best friend. You're a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We have a relationship with you. And Lord, we want to feel your presence here tonight. We want to hear your presence here tonight. We want to see your presence here tonight as we learn of you. Lord, to you be the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless the church. You may be seated. For those online, we welcome you. I'm Pastor Joe Trapani. This is Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, and we're glad you're there. We're here every Thursday night at 7.15. Just go to our website, freedomchurchpb.org, freedomchurchpb.org. PB stands for Palm Beach, freedomchurchpb.org. We're at 2810 High Paluxo Road, Lantana, Florida. If you're local, come on by. We're a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road, and if you will go over to Congress, you went too far. But we're on the north side of the road. We're actually, Hypoluxo Road is the borderline between the north border of Boynton Beach and also the south border of uh, um, Lantana. So come on by if you're local. 7.15 every Thursday night. We air live. Every Sunday at 10 a.m. we air live. So come on and, and um, you know, um, tune in to Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches. And... We also have a men's Bible study every Saturday. It is not streamed. It's at 9 o'clock right here, a quarter mile west of I-95 on the north side of the road, Freedom Church of the Palm Beaches, and we're glad you're here, 2810 High Paluxo Road. So come on by, men. You know, it's, it's a good study. These men aren't just men that are, you know, talk about fishing and hunting and all that kind of stuff. We talk about Jesus Christ, him crucified, dead, buried, and risen. And we learn of God. There's several churches in the men's group represented, even a pastor from another local church in the area. So we're on the same road. We can agree to walk together. And that is because Christ came, he died, he is buried, and he is risen the third day according to the scriptures. There's supposed to be unity in the church. And it's, it's uh, wonderful when churches get together and they can agree uh, on, on their on Christ being risen from the dead, and he's alive and well. Um, you can online, for those of you who go online, freedomchurchpb.org, you can find out what we believe in. You can find out our address. You can see uh, our ministries and what we have, and you can watch any past services, and you can even give online. We've never taken a collection in this church ever. You know, there's boxes in the back for those of you who choose to tithe or give or special offerings for anybody that's uh, new here. 
you know, the, all the, thing, the boxes are in the back. For those online, you can send your, you know, check in if God leads you to give, or you can give on, you know, go online, go to the Give Life button, and it'll take you through, and we appreciate it. You know how the gospel is going to get into all the world? It's going to be through churches that are preaching the gospel. We have a missionary in Brazil right now teaching English to Portuguese-speaking missionaries so they can go into English-speaking countries on the face of the earth and preach the gospel because Portuguese is not found in many countries. Brazil, Portugal, you know, that's a pretty much about it. But the English, you, gotta, you could go just about anywhere in the world and English is there. And he's teaching uh, missionaries to go. This is, his, this is uh, English 102 or 202. He's, he's done English 101. And uh, so this guy, you know, we're, we're reaching the world. And we support him immensely. So um, also, um, I want you to know, you know, uh, I have a missionary friend. He was in Brazil, but not in a different region. But I remember him years ago giving his testimony or telling me, he said, you know, we go up and down the Amazon River, we go to villages that nobody's seen before, and the languages aren't even known by anyone, and most of the natives will welcome you. But he said, they said to him, you know, do you, wanna, you want something to drink? So they go up to their hut, they bring back a Coca-Cola. But, but the guys preaching the gospel to them, they never heard about Jesus, but they heard about Coca-Cola. To me, that's an insult to the church of God. We need to support our churches, whichever church you go to, and you need to support the missionaries so that they can go to that last tribe. And as soon as that last believer on the face of the earth accepts Jesus as their Savior, I think we're out of here. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait till we're out of this place. I'd rather be raptured than uh, die. But the point is, you know, it's going to happen. And the sooner we preach the gospel and get into different areas of the world, then, uh, you know, the sooner the Lord's going to come back. Okay? So that's about it for, for our church. You can uh, tune in Sunday at 10 a.m. I want you to know, before I get started, I purchased some new Gospel of John's. They're in the back seats in, the, in your pocket in front of you and the seats on your, on your, on your uh, chair in front of you. And there's also a bunch on the back. There's a bunch here. I want you to know these are stamped on the front and back. Compliments of Freedom Church at the Palm Beaches, and on the back are stamped. So if you give them out in the neighborhood, if you go out, you know, give these out to people. Because this is the Gospel of John, the whole Gospel. And uh, take some with you. There's some in the back. There's some here. Take some with you and pass them out to people. Pass them out to your neighbors, your friends, your family, and uh, they, so that they can read the Gospel. It's very important uh, to get the Gospel out there. Also... Before we get to our study here tonight, and here's the name of it, we're going to look at the positive points of, of Jesus, um, positive points that Jesus points out to the seven churches of Revelation. A lot of people look at the negatives, and I've done that. But you know what? The Lord showed me, look at the positives, and we can find out what pretty much the perfect church would look like if all these reasons were held, all these uh, positive remarks to to the churches Jesus gave would be given to them. Also, before we go on, and I wanted to wait until the crew come come online from you know from our wherever you come from, 
Um, I wanted you to know, did you know that, that I am a published author? Published author. You know, praise the Lord. The Lord told me to write a book, and here it is. It's called About Face. It's a wake-up call for the church. And tell me you don't think the church needs to be woken up. We need a wake-up call. Soldiers are sleeping in the light. And I wrote this book. You know what? I just didn't sit down for two hours and write this. This is a period of over 10 years. It's a 170-page book. You can go to Barnes & Noble, Amazon, and you can order this book. You know, it'll be printed on July 4th. I've already got, like, a couple copies. You can't have this, but there's a couple copies. There's going to be over 200 and some books being sent to us. And we're going to sell them here, you know, um, because my wife and I pay for these uh, ourselves. I mean, it doesn't come out of the church. There's no influence on the church. But if it produces royalties, the church will benefit in, in, in special ways. Let me read you why I wrote this book. Here's what it says in the beginning. And this is, here's the book is dedicated to. Let me read it to you. This book is dedicated to God in Christ Jesus, who spared my life in more ways than one. He saved my life, taking all the penalty of my sin upon himself, giving me eternal life, because death had no dominion over him. There was no sin in him, but in your sin and my sin became on him. If you believe, that is, even though a believer is dressed in civilian clothes, he must not forget he is a soldier of light in a world of darkness. We were put here to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. All Christian believers have been given a high calling by the Lord God Almighty. We are commanded to fight in spiritual battles for the eternal souls of men. Your captain is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. He has equipped you with weapons which give life and do not take life. You know, there's a picture, the cover is all about, there's a picture here of a woman. She happens to be my daughter-in-law, okay? She was in the Army for eight or ten years, had two tours of Afghanistan. She, they got her on a, we got her on the cover. She's looking into a mirror, but in, on the cover she's dressed in civilian clothes. But there's an M16 here and, and boots, an Army boots uh, for, for Saudi, you know, um, uh, Desert warfare, and she's looking into a mirror, but in the mirror she has on the an army uniform. We are in this world. We are dressed in these civilian clothes, but the enemy sees us as warriors. And if we aren't warriors, you know, then then uh, we missed our some of our calling. There's a war going on. It's called the War of All Ages. It's been a battle between God and Satan since Lucifer fell from heaven and became known as Satan. And this, this book is, is a wake-up call for the church. I want to read something else to you. I have a, I have a uh, warning in here. Here's the warning. This book contains a great deal of Scripture, and Scripture will change your life and the way you live. So I'm telling you right up front, if you take this book and you listen to it, it's most a lot of scripture because I'm a scriptural teaching pastor. It's put on an army theme, and most of you know the army, you know, how to fight, you know about 
about faith, which is repentance. You know about basic training, which is discipleship. You know about reveille, that's your call to attention every morning with the trumpet bugle going off. And you're, then you're sent to AIT for advanced instructional training, whatever you're going to be, whatever the Army decides, whatever God decides to give you a gift. And then he's, he's, after we learn all these things, as we're trained and equipped with the gifts, God sends us forth into this world to preach the gospel. And then we have to, while we're in the world, we have to guard our hearts. That's another chapter. You have to guard your heart or this world will chew you up and so will the devil. You know, number, page number seven is your, you have an empowered life. This is talking about a spirit-filled life. You are a Christian. You are to be spirit-filled. Spirit-filled. That means from the top of your head to the tip of your toes to your fingertips. Saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's your empowered life. You know, and then you have your marching orders, which is to go, therefore, make disciples. You know, it's, this is an important book. It took me 10 years, and God did it. Here's why I wrote it real quick. And I'm going to do this probably again on Sunday because I want this book purchased because I want the world to see what's really happening. You've got to look into the Spirit. The introduction, it's a time to return to the Word of God. For, many, for more than 40 years, I have been saddened to see former Christian soldiers and other veterans of prior wars struggling with life. They were once courageous and disciplined soldiers. Now, many of these soldiers have surrendered their discipline, their courage, their valor, their integrity, their dignity, and the honor they once possessed. They have allowed the enemy of their souls to gain ground ground in their life and defeat them. They have succumbed and stepped outside the perimeter of God into enemy territory, and he has captured them and placed them in dungeons of despair, hopelessness, complacency. They have become prisoners of war. The dignity they once had, which enabled them to hold their chest out and their heads held high, what has now been turned to shame. Today, their heads hang in defeat. They live life in sorrow. They are frustrated, disappointed, discontented, and unsatisfied. They are now marching to a different captain. Satan has captured their, has captured their, them through their through candy-coated booby traps of drugs, alcohol lust, sex, and etc. The devil has marched them far away from their true captain, Jesus Christ. He has tempted them and has drawn them away by lust leading to sin, sin bringing them to the pinnacle of death, the LSD of their souls. They are now on a merciless bad trip. This book was written to let the Christian soldiers know that they can use both their carnal and spiritual military tactics and insights to make an about face in their lives and once again return to God if they would just step back inside the perimeter of God to be protected by, to be protected by him as they once again effectively use their shield of faith and their sword of the spirit. And it goes on. This is a spiritual book. You know, so if you want it, go to Amazon, you know, or Barnes & Noble. You can even go to Exelon, where I wrote it through, Exelon Press. It's U-W-L-O-N, Ulon, 
Yulon Press. And, they, you know, they give us full royalties on it. I didn't write the book for money, just so you know that. I wrote it to wake up the church because God told me to write it. Otherwise, listen. My worst subject in school was literature. I don't know how I even got called to this, except that you can know when you read it, I didn't write it, the Lord wrote it and used a uh, person like me. Okay? So do it. Um, so praise the Lord. Um, Revelation, chapter 2 and chapter 3. I sent a little flyer for you guys. I gave it to you, each one of you. I passed it out when you came in. And uh, I think Liz, I don't know, I didn't give one to Liz. Oh, she got one. Okay. Um, and I'll have them. They're on the back seat there, you know, and they'll be on the table in the back when I'm done. It might take us a couple weeks to get through this. I don't know. We're going to see. Um, we're going to look at the positive points Jesus gives to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. If the church today would follow these positive points that Jesus gives to these seven churches, you would pretty much have a picture of a perfect church. Do you realize that? You would pretty much have a picture of a perfect church. Because these churches had a lot wrong with them. But there was a lot right with some of them, too. There's two of the five, two of the seven churches. Jesus didn't tell them to repent, even though we know we have to repent. He did not tell them. They were on the pretty much on the right path. They were pretty much doing uh, good things. They were pretty much, you know, preaching the gospel. They were on target. You know, the ones who had the worst, the worst things told to them because they weren't doing things right, actually had the most told about them that they should do right and how to get it right. So I'm going to read, you know, chapter uh, 22, or chapter 2, just the first uh, seven verses, and this is the, the message that Jesus gives to the church of Ephesus, the church of Ephesus. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible I think it's a 1977 edition, not the 1995. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands says this, I know your deeds and your toil and perseverance and that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. Verse 3, And you have perseverance, and have endured for my name's sake, and have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, Therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else, I am coming to you, and I will remove your lampstand out of its place, unless you repent. But, this you do have, positive points here, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear 
what the church, what the Spirit says to the church. To him who overcomes, I will grant him to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. The Lord is rebuking this church, but he's also pointing out what they should do to correct themselves. Okay? We learn from this church of Ephesus that they are a persevering church. She, she is one that will not give up. That's what it says in verse 2. I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men. They're persevering in a world of trouble. If you went to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 58, it says there, Therefore, brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing your toil is not in vain in the Lord. They're standing steadfast. You know, we live in a society and in a world today that is changing moment by moment. You know what the Lord's saying here? Stand fast. Don't pay attention to what's out there going on. It's going to happen. You can, here, here's what he says. Stand fast. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. No matter what's going on out there, you keep your focus on Jesus. You keep your focus on Jesus. Memorize that verse. That is an important verse. 1 Corinthians 15. I quoted it to you. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard uh, Bible. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 58. Fifteen is, I believe, the last chapter in 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 First Corinthians. No, it isn't. It's the second to the last chapter, but it's the last verse in chapter uh, fifteen. Therefore, my beloved brethren, God's telling this church He loves them. Okay, He be steadfast. That means after all that you can do to stand. Stand fast, therefore. Keep your feet on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. You can find that in, Revel in, in Matthew chapter 7. You know, the man who built his house upon the sand, and there's the man who built his house upon the rock. And when the floods came and the winds blew and, the, and everything burst against that house, it did not fall because it was founded on the rock, Jesus Christ. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And know this, as you're doing that, you know, know that your toil's not in vain in the Lord. He's watching you. He sees you. You're not doing it and not being noticed. The Lord is noticing you. You're standing fast. You're immovable. It's like a soldier. Like I got that book in a soldier theme. A soldier is at attention. He stands fast with his chest out and his head up high, high, with his arms down his side, but he's fully equipped for battle when you get up in the morning. The church needs a wake-up call and needs to be fully equipped for battle. But now, the, a lot of the churches and a lot of people that are in church are complacent. They sit in church and that's it. They go out the door on Sunday and they somewhat live a Christian life. Some of them are real active preaching the gospel. Some of us just go out the door and we don't do anything until next Sunday. 
Some of us live like the devil during the week, and some of us live a good life. You can preach the gospel without any word. People do watch your life. But you need to be steadfast and immovable, no matter what comes against you. You know, heaven, hell, sickness, health, whatever. People who are watching you. Be steadfast. Jesus is telling them, I appreciate your steadfastness. I appreciate your perseverance. You're going to make it here. He appreciates this. Number two of this church that Jesus says that they're doing good at is they do not tolerate evil men. Turn to Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 1. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 1. You know, if I take time to get there, you, you'll have the time to get there yourself. Here's what 24, verse 1 of Proverbs says. Do not be envious of evil men. A lot of times Christians get envious. They're prospering, but you're not. Jesus is telling you, God's telling you, don't be envious of, of evil men, nor desire to be with them. For their minds devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. God is telling them, it's good that you don't follow after these evil men. It's good. You, once you're born again, you know what? Your friendships are going to change. Once you do an about face and come to know God, your, your friendships are going to change. Your friends you used to drink with, lust with, go to pornographic moody movies or all that, they're going to start, you're not going to be going, so there's going to be a separation starting to happen, which is a good thing because you need to surround yourself with good, godly people and not people that will lead you into the depravity of sin. Your whole continence will change your, even your relationships would change. You might even lose your best friend like I did when I got saved. I lost my best friend. You know what? You know who's my best friend now? Jesus. And my wife. She's my best friend. But my Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Listen. Do not be envious of men, evil men. Believe me, God knows what they're doing, and God will judge at the end. Here's what you should pray. Lord, change them. They're evil right now, but they can do an about face. They can repent and come to know you as their Savior. So this church has positive points from Jesus. She's persevering in, in troubled times. These people weren't, in these days, weren't just be called a name like Jesus freak, they were being martyred. They were being put on crosses and, and covered with tar or kerosene and lit as lamps for the roads. They were fed the lions. Jesus is saying, thank you, church, for your perseverance and for your tolerance. You know, you do not tolerate evil men. In other words, you're not going to become like them. He also says in verse verse. 2 of Revelation. Let me get there again. 
I know your deeds and your toil and your perseverance, that you cannot endure evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. You know what Jesus is saying here? Some versions say, test the spirit. Test the spirit. What's going on? You know, test the spirit. When something said to you, go to 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. You know what? I use a lot of scripture. You know why? Because my words go like this. They go out my mouth and they fall straight to the ground. But God's word is living and it's active. You know, every word of God is tested. It's a shield to those who take refuge in him. The word of God, you know, goes on and on and on. It will never return void without accomplishing what God set it forth to do. Here's what Jesus is saying to this church in Ephesus. He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see what Jesus is telling this church? He says, he says here in the second verse, you know, and you put to test them that call themselves apostles. They're testing the Spirit. They're, a lot of people call themselves apostles, but they're not. Okay? You found them to be false. And you find, you know, and, and um, you found them to be false. In other words, you can't believe everything. If, you, if somebody comes up to you and says this and that, it better line up with the scriptures in this book. Otherwise, they're telling false things, and they're false prophets. So test every spirit. You know, even when I'm, I'm tempted or, or uh, even in the spiritual realm, when something speaks into my head and I don't know what it is, I don't know if it's from God or the devil. Because the devil can plant things in your mind. You know that, right? That's why the scriptures tell us to, you know, weapons over our warfare, they're not carnal, they're mighty through God, to pull down strongholds, to cast down imaginations. See, the devil can do that. You take the sword of the Spirit and you say, here's what I say to that. When that voice comes into my spirit, I say this. Does that stand as truth before the throne of God and his son Jesus Christ? And usually it'll just flee from you or immediately you'll know if it was a good spirit or not. Does that stand as truth? before the throne of the living God in Christ Jesus. Something like that. You know, always bring Jesus into it. Jesus Christ. One devil said to one of my friends, he said, you know, he, te he tested him that way, and he said, um, about, is your, you know, does this stand as truth before the name of, of Jesus? And the guy said, well, yeah, I have a, a brother in Mexico that is called Jesus. There's a lot of Jesuses out there. But there's only one Jesus Christ who came, who died, who was buried, and has risen, who shed his blood for you. You've got to be very specific. The devil's been around for thousands of years. You're only, what, 23? 72? I'm the oldest probably one in this room. You know what? He's been around for thousands of years. Thousands of years. You know he cannot smart me? 
But he can outsmart you because he's been around for thousands of years. And he knows the scriptures and he knows how to twist them. And you've got to say, does that stand as truth before the, the throne of Almighty God in Christ Jesus the Messiah? You've got to test the spirit. You know, Joseph Smith of the Mormons, if he would have tested that spirit that said to him, he's an angel of God, said, write another gospel. If he knew his Bible, he would know, and if you would knew your Bible, you would know that the Bible says there is no other gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's writing another gospel? I'm sorry, but that angel of light was a demon dressed in light. He's leading people astray from the gospel. If he knew his Bible, I've talked with Mormons. I've talked with Jehovah Witnesses. I talked with Mormons. I said, how many times you read the Book of Mormons? One of them said like 35 times. I said, how many times you read the New Testament? Never. He said, I never read it. Wait a minute, you're going to believe that gospel that is a false gospel because this gospel of Jesus Christ tells you there is no other gospel. There is no other good news other than the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who came and died, who was buried, and is risen the third day according to the scriptures. There's nobody else. You could identify him. Joseph Smith was a false prophet. Judge Rutherford and Charles Taze Russell of the Jehovah Witnesses who started in my hometown, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, they're false prophets. They predicted Jesus Christ is coming back all these different years. I think it was 1914, 1916, 1920-some. When Russell died, Judge Rutherford took over, and he said the same thing, Jesus is coming back. Well, the Bible says nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. So they're false prophets. They're predicting dates that never happened. And then when it did, whenever they didn't happen, they said, oh, he came invisibly. They're false prophets. You don't follow a false prophet. I had people that attended this church that said they went down to the beach and, and a guy came along and he said he was the Messiah and, and asked him if he could baptize them. And they went into the water in the ocean to be baptized by a guy who said he was the Messiah. You know what Jesus said? He said, there is no other Messiah other than me. What we will believe if we don't read our Bible, you must Read your Bible. Jeremiah, no, it's Jeremiah, it's not Jeremiah, Deuteronomy. It says that you should read your Bible at all times. All the time, read your Bible. If you never read through the Bible and you're a leader in the church, really, that's not to your credit. You need to know your Bible. If you're a leader, you are leading the sheep of God either to him or away from him. And you could get sucked into a false prophecy if you don't know the prophecies within this book. Jesus is commending them. You persevere, you tolerate, you do not tolerate evil men, and you test the spirits. He's approving them. You, you, attest, you test these spirits, and you know whether they're apostles or not. And they're not. And then he says, you know, uh, verse 5, in verse 5, he says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent, and do the deeds you did at first. Or else I am coming, and I will remove your lampstand uh, out of the place, unless you repent. He's telling them to repent. 
It's a repentant church. This church obviously repented. You know, not, not everybody, but there's always a remnant in the church that believes the true gospel. This is a repentant church. What was Peter when he got up to preach after Pentecost in, in Acts chapter 2 and verse uh, 38? He said, repent, therefore, and be baptized, everyone, in the name of Jesus Christ. What did Jesus say when he left? He said, he said go, therefore, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So baptize them in my name. You know, you know, we've got to realize the name of Jesus is so powerful. We're going to see that as we move, move through this study. Peter said, repent to be baptized. John the Baptist came on the scene, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus, when he came on the scene after he was baptized with John, he said, repent. Repent and turn to God. You know what? Somebody just told me in the last couple of weeks, they haven't heard repentance in their church. I said, you know, well, that's not a good point. You are supposed to repent. So people come in this church and they flaunt their, their gaiety, they flaunt their drunkenness, they flaunt their adultery or their porno pornographic movies. If they flaunt those things, you have the responsibility to tell them to repent because it's not correct. You can't bring sin into the church. The church is supposed to bring you to the place where you confess and repent before God, and he forgives you of your sin. And then you go around, and here's what it is. Wake up, church. Wake up. The church needs to wake up. It has slipped back over the centuries. Back in the 1700s, Jonathan Edward preached in Boston, and he preached on sinners in the hands of an angry God. You know what? If somebody had that message for the churches today, if you would say that, they'd say, oh, he's a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm not going to go there. You know what? You know what it took for Boston to repent? A message like that that says, if you don't straighten up and repent, you're going to end up in hell. We need to know that, you're, you, know, that, that you need to repent. The church needs to know that. Why did Jesus tell five of these seven churches to repent? We here at Freedom Church, I, me and Max just prayed before the service, and after we were done praying, what did we do, Max? We said, Lord, we repent of our sins. You remember that? Last thing I said was, Lord, forgive us our sins. We repent of them. If you're in a church that isn't preaching repentance, you might want to Go ask the pastor why he don't. I don't know. All I know is you need to repent. You don't flaunt your sin. I'll tell you what. I'm a sinner. I might look good to you, but inside I know what's going on. And God knows. And I need to repent. We live in a fallen world. The devil's, you could be driving up I-95 and see a billboard that makes you sin. As we live in a fallen world, thank God he, we confess our sins. He continually cleanses us from all sin. 1 John 1, 9, that's using the verbs in there with the tense that they were put in. He will continually forgive you of all your sins. In number 5, in verse 6, he says to the church of Ephesus, Yet this you do have 
that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. The Nicolaitans were deceivers and blasphemers and liars. They weren't good for the church. You know, here's things. Go to Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. Proverbs. I know we're bouncing around a lot. I'm a teacher, by the way. I am I'm a preacher, but I'm a teacher. And a teacher uses a lot of the words of God. It's, I tell everybody, and you probably heard me say it before, a preacher is like a, sh- like a, a rifle shot. He has a, he has a 20-power scope or a 10-power scope, and he zooms in on one target, and he shoots it. And when it hits there, it makes one hole. But a preacher, a teacher, he's like a shotgun blast. By the time it gets to you, it might be fanned out. But one of those points are going to hit you home, and you're to follow what the Holy Spirit says to you and apply it to your life. So I'm going to use a lot of Scripture because, as I said in this book, Scripture will change your life. It changed mine, and it it will change yours. So here's what Proverbs 6, Proverbs 6, and verse 16 says. Proverbs 6, verse 16. There are six things which the Lord hates. Haunty, uh, yet, yet, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. He's saying to you, these sins are of an abomination to me. Here's number one, haunty eyes. Number two, a lying tongue. God does not like liars. And hands that shed innocent blood. In other words, murderers. A heart that devises equal plans. You know that some people's hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked? Matter of fact, the scriptures say all men's hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. But our once we get saved, our hearts should change. As David said in Psalm uh, 86.11, when he realized what he did and how he sinned, Bash, you know, with Bathsheba and took the life of her husband Uriah in the battlefield, he said, Lord, created me a new heart. And the word create there in Hebrews is bara, which means f- create from nothing. So you know what that means? That means that David wanted his old heart torn out and God to give him a new heart that won't sin against him, to create a new heart, not just, just, just uh, you know, revise the one he had. He wanted a new heart. That's how repentant David was. Created me a new heart. And then he goes on to say in other passages, you know, that, uh, what's he say? He says, give, give to me, Lord, an undivided heart. I'm sorry, that other verse was Psalm 51. Psalm 86, 11 is give to me an, un, an undivided heart, O God. But both of them point to the same thing. He wants a heart that's steadfast for the Lord. He's not going to turn to the right and the left. He's going to follow the Lord. You know, David wasn't a, such a good guy, right? But he was repentant with an open heart. He had a heart that was truly repentant. When he was rebuked, for his sin against Bathsheba and having Uriah sent to the front line so that he would get killed, so that he made 
made Bathsheba pregnant and he was going to hide his sin, God exposed it to the point where a, a prophet came to him and told him a little story about sheep. And David said, he deserves to die. And the prophet said, that's you, David. And David immediately fell to his knees and repented. So if you're a homosexual, a liar, a deceiver, a drunk, a pornographic person, you need to drop to your knees and repent. Okay, what did we do? We didn't even go through them all, and we got, got sidetracked. I got sidetracked. Listen, six things the Lord hates, seven which are an abomination to him. That includes the six that he's talking about. Haunty eyes, God hates a liar, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a murderer, a heart that deceives, devises evil plans. People have hearts that they devise an evil plan against their neighbor, their business partner, or whatever. And also, feet that run to evil. God doesn't like people. I mean, he loves all people, but he doesn't want you to run to evil people. He don't want you to run rapidly to evil. In other words, we're supposed to turn from evil. That's called what? Repentance. You know what? This church isn't going to grow with preaching like that. <laughs> Unless you're repentant, then it will be filled up. See what I'm saying? Because a lot of people just hide that so that they, their churches build up. I'm not going to hide it because I'm a pastor. I am responsible for every sheep under my control as a pastor. I am responsible. And I don't take it e easily. And those people, those sheep that leave because I preach on repentance and, and other things that are in the Word of God, then then i got to let them leave because they didn't respond to what the Word of God said. And it bothers me, but I can't preach a diluted, diluted Word of God. It's got to be done. It's got to be done, especially in days like today. A false witness who utters lies. It's pretty much the same thing as up above, but it's, it's different. A false witness, you deliberately tell fibs so that somebody else can be hurt. And one who spreads strife among brothers. You know what that is? It's a gossiper. God don't like gossipers. You know what? If, you're gonna, if you hear something, make sure it's true before you spread it around. I'll tell you what you can do with gossip. You can, you can not say a word about it. You can throw it in the garbage can where, you, where it belongs. That's what you can do with gossip. Or, if you want to be evil and desire an, e desires an evil plan, you can use it against the person you don't like. Gossip. You know what to do? Put it in the garbage can where it belongs. With gossip. So, one that spreads strife around, uh, around among his, the brothers. So Jesus, um, Jesus has given them good points, and if we could adopt this in our church, to persevere, to hate evil, toler don't tolerate evil men, 
to test the Spirit because you know the Word of God. You're going to find out what is preached to you is accurate according to Scripture. And, you know, a, a church of repentance and a church that, that, uh, that Jesus is thanking them for they hate deceivers and blasphemers and liars. So what can we learn from the church of Smyrna? Let's turn there again. Now that's the church of Ephesus. Okay, what can we learn from the church of Smyrna? We're going to read verses 8 through 11. We will continue in this next week because I'm not going to get there. I've got about 10 more minutes. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write, The first and the last who was dead and has come to life says this. You know what he's saying? He's saying, I'm Jesus, I was dead, and I came back to life. He was risen the third day. He was the first and the last. He's the beginning, he's the end. He's the alpha, he's the omega. He always was, and he always will be. That's what he's saying. That's who I am. That's who is writing this, or you know, who is telling John to write this book. I know your tribulations and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast you into prison, that you may be tested, and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Second death is fire and brimstone. What can we learn from the church of Smyrna? Number one, they think they're poor, and they were poor. But Jesus is saying, you're poor carnally, but you're rich spiritually. That's what he's saying to them. He's complimenting them. You are spiritual church. You think you're poor because you put more value on worldly things than you do on spiritual things. He's telling them, you're spiritually rich. What a compliment. That's a compliment. If Jesus would stand before you and say, Dan, you're spiritually rich, that would be a compliment. He's telling the church of Smyrna, you are spiritually rich. Ephesians 1.3. Let's turn there for a while. Ephesians 1.3. Here's what Paul starts out to the Ephesian church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in places in here's your blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Blessed are we, blessed are you. Because God has blessed them with every spiritual blessing. He's thanking them, giving them a compliment. You're spiritually rich. 
and he's, he's giving them a compliment. God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing, Smyrna. What else about Smyrna? Chapter, or verse 9 and 10. 9 and 10. We've got to get back to Revelation. Revelation 2, 9 and 10. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the blasphemy by those who say they are Jews and are not but are of the synagogue of Satan. Some of these people think they're, they're Jews, but Jesus is telling them they're of the synagogue of Satan. That's the church of Satan. They didn't know it. You know why they didn't know it? Because they, they uh, weren't rich spiritually. They valued the world more than, than the spiritual realm. More than the spirit. So, they're, they're spiritually risked. What did I say here? Verses 9 and 10. So if we went to James or John chapter 16, verse 33, here's what Jesus said. And he's, and this applies to the church today, and it applies to the churches throughout the, the uh, centuries, and it refers to, to the church now, back in this day. He says, he says, you know, in the world... We will have tribulation. But Jesus is saying, but I have overcome the world. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus. You've got to keep your eyes on Jesus because this world will take you down. Jesus says, in this world, church, you will have tribulation. So listen, if you're, if you're a Christian, it doesn't mean that you're exempt from tribulation. You aren't. Jesus said, you will have tribulation. But he says, I have overcome the world. You know how? By putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will be an overcomer in this world. You can overcome everything that comes against you because as he told the church of Ephesus, to stand fast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's a tested church. They test the Spirit so they know that these people are not from God. They're from the synagogue of Satan, and Jesus is crediting them and saying to them, you figured it out. You know that they're not from God. You're a tested church. We know that the scriptures tell us a tested church is, James 1.3 says, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. The testing of your faith produces endurance. I say it this way, and you've heard me say it if you've been under my teaching for a while. Faith that isn't tested can't be trusted. You will be tested if you're a Christian. You're either going to fall or you're going to pass the test. You will be tested. And if you're tested and you pass the test, you will, God will produce endurance in you. You know what it says here? It says that this church will have temp tribulation 10 days. 10 days, you think, that's not too bad, right, for a whole church. This wasn't talking about, about 10 literal days. You find out this, this is talking about the 10 Caesars that were going to follow in Rome. So they were in persecution for many, many years. The next 10 Caesars of Rome will 
target the church and come against the church. And Jesus is telling them to stand fast and be steadfast and be in, and endure for ten Caesars. And you know what? If you count off from, from the Caesars in, in, in the New Testament to, to um, Constantine in 311 A.D. who conquered the world in Jesus' name, and he prayed, he conquered the world, and he gave the victory to Jesus and had crosses put on his shields because he claims that Jesus gave him the victory to conquer the world. And then when he became a Christian, he allowed Rome to be identified as Christian. And what they did, it, it, it was good in one way and it was bad in another. Because Constantine, you know, um, he allowed Christianity to exist without you being tortured or fed the lions. But it also put the idol worshipers came to the Christian faith and brought idols into the church. Again, just like the Jews did with, with the Jewish, with the law of Moses. They brought idols in. So now we had idols move into the church. And that still goes on today. I've seen it in, in Guatemala many times. Still goes on today. Even though it might be a Christian church, but there's idols brought into that church. And they are around today. Jesus, Jesus is saying, you know, it's like I said, it's a good thing. They suffered for 10 Caesars before they were allowed to identify as Christians. You know, back in those days, if you were a Christian, you would draw a half moon on the, on the sand. And if the other person was a Christian, he would draw a half moon on the other side, and it would do the shape of that fish, you know, that fish. And then they're this way. You'd have the fish, and then they would know that they're Christians because if they identified as Christians and a soldier of Rome saw you, he could grab you and feed you to the lions. They were suffering for ten Caesars that followed. Some of those Caesars only lasted a year or two. Some of them last for, for, for many years. Jesus was telling them right here, you will have tribulation 10 days. You will be tested over the next 10 Caesars, basically. He says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And that's a study in itself. The crown of life is one of the five crowns that any soldier, any Christian can, can receive from the Lord. So, Revelation, you know, uh, is telling us that the church of Simona, you've got to be fearless and very courageous. That's what God told Joshua as he marched against Jericho. He said, have I not told you to be strong and very courageous? We church, the church of Christ today, with the world that's going on in the world today, we need to stand strong. We need to be fearless. And we need to be very courageous. But I mentioned to you not too long ago, I think on Sunday, I mentioned it to you. The church, some people in a Christian church aren't fearless anymore. They, they won't even come back to church because there's a lion in the way. It's called COVID. You know what? I personally believe that COVID is demonic. I've known people that got COVID that they actually felt 
something jump on them. And they rebuked it in Jesus' name. I believe it's totally demonic. I don't care if it was created by men or the devil had men created. All I know is I believe it's demonic. And it's keeping Christians from returning to church. And the devil's laughing in hell because the saints are afraid to go out because there's a lion in the road. You know that the Bible says the devil comes as a roaring lion. The devil comes like a roaring lion. You know what the key word is? Like. The devil comes like a roaring lion. You know what the Bible's telling you? He is not a roaring lion. He is not a roaring lion. He's a defeated foe at the cross of Christ. And when Jesus died on the cross, he defeated him at the cross. He crushed his skull, smashed his teeth, and ripped out his claws. The devil was just a wiggling worm that casts a shadow on the wall that people think he's a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. He's a defeated foe. Jesus defeated him by his death on the cross and his resurrection of, on, on, res, on resurrection or what we call Easter Sunday. He's a defeated foe. And that's right. Clap. Because Jesus defeated the enemy. And if the church would wake up, we, they would know it. It's time to get your battle armor on and leave it on. People say, I dress myself in the armor of God every day. That's great. I want to know why you took it off at night. Why? The scriptures don't tell you to take off that battle armor. It doesn't tell you. You're going to know when you're going to take off your battle armor? When you end up in heaven, then the battle armor is no longer necessary because there's no sin in heaven and there's no, nothing to worry about in heaven. But when God goes into battle, I showed you in Isaiah chapter 59, I believe it is. When God goes into battle, he puts on his helmet of salvation and his breastplate of righteousness. That means when he comes out of his kingdom into this world, he is wearing a helmet of salvation and a breastplate of righteousness, which is him. He is salvation and he is righteous. But he comes out. And if God has to wear his helmet and his, and his shield of faith, a breastplate of righteousness, then how much more me and you? Right? So listen, we got two churches. we got, we got five more to go. And I'm going to end it there. And you know what? This was a strong message. I don't know what God's going to do whenever I get up here. But all I know is the messages have been getting stronger and stronger, what I feel. But you know what? That tells me maybe, just maybe, the church is going to come back and wake up. And if you want to page through this, you can't have it. I'll, in a couple of weeks, I'll have over 250 copies of that. And like I said, we're going to, I've never sold anything here ever, but we're going to put a donation. And I'll tell you what the book is worth. And if you can donate, uh, that's fine. If not, then I will give books out. I would be blessed if everyone in this church would read this book. Not for the royalties, believe me, I didn't write it for her. My daughter-in-law, when she her, said I was writing a book, and she saw the book, and, that, and she, her friend said, well, he's going to get, you know, I, he probably did it for the money. And she says, I know him. He didn't do it for the money. <laughs> I ain't do it for the money. So anyway, let's pray.
Father God, we thank you for your word. So beautiful, so convicting, so enlightening. And we thank you for it. Lord, we want you to be glorified. We want the church to wake up. We want to hear what you think is the, well, you know is the perfect church. And as we look at these good points and positive points that you point out for the churches of Revelation, we can see the improvements that could be made in Freedom Church and other churches that might be represented here tonight or here over the Internet. Lord, we give you the glory, the praise, and the honor. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless the church. I love you all.